back by popular demand from Mark and Carl. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. Hey, up. Hey. Oh, I'll do. I couldn't have better put it better myself, uh, even though I couldn't get the words out properly, but uh, there you go. Before your good, very eyes. Good start. Aye. Well, you know, I've, I've had the, my tablet. So okay. Oh, great, great. Before your very eyes, I declare this new Beetle Places podcast open. Hooray. Mark and future poet laureate Col. What? That, that's me. Are here, uh, are here to deliver another homemade hodgepodge of Beatles features. Fun facts and more. Yes. It's lovely to be here after I, this awful day we've had. Yeah, that's and a pleasure to have your company. I'm, I'm glad I agree with you. Uh, for those keeping notes or writing a complaint, I'm Mark. <laughs> and the other chap on the other side, way over there in the corner, just hiding behind the wardrobe, who's just finished relagging his there loft. There you go. That's hey! That'll last a week. That'll last a week. Aye. Thank you. What a memory you have. <laughs> uh, thank you, goons. And at no cost to yourselves, Mark and Carl will take you down through the day, annals of time. Is that what it says? I'm glad Spellchecker got yeah. involved there yeah. and didn't autocorrect that bit. Um, yes, through the annals of time, as we explore and enjoy the greatness of Liverpool's eternally lovable foursome and local legends, the Beatles. Hooray. Their lives, their legacy. Based in Liverpool, we're always looking at their formative years of John and Paul and George and Ringo and Bert. That's a local joke. Aye. Um, who, who they knew, where they went and what made them them. So, uh, what can I tell you more than that? The Beatles continue to fascinate people worldwide and their mission, our mission, should we accept it, no. is to tell you even more about it in this lovely podcast about the fab foursome that you didn't know. Uh, and if you did, just pretend you didn't. Aye, we... Right, before you, we carry on, by the way, uh, John, Paul, George, Ringo and Bert, uh, yeah, I went to see that at the Everyman Theatre twice. It, it, it was a play, wasn't it? It was, it was with Barbara Dixon playing the piano. Ah, see, long time back, but oh, it, was a, it was good. And apparently the Beatles didn't like it very much, <laughs> but I liked it. I thought I really enjoyed it, that's why I went to see it twice. Anyway, this podcast episode especially goes into great detail on the schools and the teachers that the Beatles went to here in Liverpool. We did. We're talking about the teachers who taught uh, me and the characters in and around school who clearly shaped the young boys into young men who went on to conquer the world. Hey! And that's going to surprise a few of you. There is, yeah. Bit of work in it, but it's worth a listen. Hi. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's me, isn't it? You know, yeah. <laughs> Hello. I'll give you a shake. New balls. Uh, as well and also as a divertissement. Oh, he speaks funny. Uh, we'll have a fun feature on the lexicon of Liverpool. I've been promising this for yonks. That's so, not a um, is it? No, no, no. It's, uh, it's, uh, we usually go to swing and sporring, don't we? So, Aye. Um, That's how we talk, it's, isn't it? Uh, it's the ways we talks. In other words, uh, words the, the, way, the words we use when we talk up here. Because so, right now, we've got our posh voices on, as Mark and proudly tell. <laughs> uh, these The ones we use to answer the phone or, or meet the Queen with. Aye. So that's the intro got done. What's next, Mark? Uh, in the words of Arthur Askey, on with the uh, <laughs> shoes, socks, uh, sh- show. And 
friends, so we've arrived, and to prove it, we're here with another Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole, par excellence. Very good. That's right. all the waffle over with. That's now, my French O level, yeah, all fancy. done, all dusted. Mum and Dad got the money's worth out of you at that Swiss finishing school, didn't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> correction, they yeah. got the money back. Yeah, got the and, money back. And, yeah. uh, they shut. They shut that day. <laughs> they <with them>. were. <laughs> yeah. um, and in this episode, this episode, we've got. Now, hang on a minute, Mark. Where, where, where's my kettle drums? I, I had a minute something. Huh. Uh, it's somewhere around. While Cole looks oh, aimlessly for his kettle drums, which only got me £8 on eBay, I, and I'll tell I you that in this episode of Beetle Places podcast, we've got the Beetle Places oh. trivia quiz, another fiendish collection of Fab Four Look questions. This month in Beetle history, need I say more? Shut up! <sighs> The Beatles book review, a chance to sing the praises or pelted tomatoes, the best and the worst Beatle books out there. And as aforementioned, Carl will be relating the school days of John, Paul, George, Ringo and even Stu. All in all, it's what we call a bumper-packed show, folks. It, it is, but more importantly, have you seen my kettle drums? They're about yay big. And you make a big noise uh, when you hear some. Uh, um, and and, and uh, they should be here because I've, I've got a big solo planned. I was going to uh, do. Uh, I was going to do the Planet Sweep by uh, Holst. All right, let's <laughs> let's begin. Here's the first regular feature of the uh, hugely popular podcast in our neck of the woods. <laughs> the hugely popular Beetle Places Trivia Quiz. Hooray! So lots of people have written in to say they love it. Or people at work have said they love it. And uh, namely <coughs> Mark from Liverpool. That's me. Uh, and Mr G from Liverpool. That's me. Uh, the I'm not Mark from Liverpool. Could be me. And Mr I wish to remain an omnibus. Uh, an omnibus. From, from, the, from Liverpool. Ah, that could funny, be me. I, I, I recognise the handwriting from somewhere. Yeah. Any road, here's Mark. Can his voice go any deeper? Glenister. Well, that's me. Yeah, right. Here we go. Well, I'm going to give you three questions now, and I'll give the questions again a little bit later on, after a few minutes lie down and rest. Uh, and then later on in the uh, podcast, and I'll give you the answers and see how well you do. It's only a bit of fun. And uh, I'm going to text, te- text, tax Collins' um, brain, if I can find it. So, uh, <laughs> up, it's running on empty. Right. The first question is, what album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? Okay. What album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? Yeah. Aha. And question number two. In the film, A Hard Day's Night, which mm. we uh, did a podcast on uh, not that long ago, mm. uh, the train that they filmed on went from Paddington, all right, in London. Mm. But where did it go to? And it travelled 2,500 miles in six days, which is quite a while, yeah. but uh, quite a way. So I want to know where the train went when they're filming Hard Day's Night, it started in Paddington, but where did it go to? And I'm guessing it wasn't 2,600 miles away. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, it was near enough. Near, near. near. Enough. And also, question number three. What happened at 11.35am on the 8th of August, 1969? Okay. So, what album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? Question number two. A Hard Day's Night... The filming of it, the train left Paddington, but where did it go to while they were doing the filming? It travelled 2,500 miles in six days. And finally, question three. What happened at 11.35am on August the 8th, 
1969. Okay, that is the quiz. Play us backwards and we still don't make any sense. Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. So let's see how you fur with those teasers today. You could always skip right to the answers now in 38 minutes and 10 seconds. That kind of sucks the fun out of it, really. It's a waste of time. And uh, you miss all the bits out in the middle. So just to pass the time between here and there my is my cohort and occasional stunt double, though he is six foot taller than me. It's Cole with our other regular feature, the Beatle Places album guide to the Fab Four. And this time, it's Rubber Soul. Cheers very much. That's Mark, and isn't he great? Oh. Yes, yes it is, folks. He's not that wrong. It's about Rubber Soul. Thanks to Mark, anyway, for his cerebrally challenging Beatles trivia quiz. You make sure you have a go at those answers and get them to him on a big, fat postcard, or just wait. Yeah. Either way. Answers are later on at 38 minutes and 10 seconds, like he said. But um, there's no questions in this segment. It's just all facts and all interesting features about the Beatles' sixth proper album, Rubber Soul. And it's a real humdigger of an album, I'll tell you, if I say so myself. Mm. Oh, it just did. So, um, Rubber Soul was recorded between June 1965 and November 1965, just in time for Grimbo. It reached number one, of course. No surprises there. And funnily enough, some critics didn't rate it very highly compared to their previous efforts, but you're the judge. You judge for yourself. And look at the track listing on this. Side one, Drive My Car. Norwegian Wood, You Won't See Me, Nowhere Man, Think For Yourself, The Word, Michelle, Flip It Over, Think About It, Put The Needle On The Record, Side 2, What Goes On, I'm Looking Through You, In My Life, Wait, If I Needed Someone, and Run For Your Life. So as, as I read them out... I can hear myself singing them too. So okay. they're all very well-known songs. And these are just tracks on an album, not singles necessarily. And some are huge classics, massive classics. Yet, as typically happened with Beatles records, the singles were singles and the albums were amb- album of albums. Or albums, as the well-known anagram goes. <laughs> You've been drinking again. I'm just, I'm trying. Yeah, slow down, and slow never, down. Okay, so the singles were singles and the albums were albums and never the twain shall meet in terms of inclusion. So Wait was originally intended for Help, the album, and Drive My Car was the first time the band had recorded past midnight in EMI's Abbey Road. So the word, uh, the, the song that is, was a prototype love song, well ahead of Flower Power by at least two years. And it, I'm Looking Through You was a song Paul wrote after he broke up with Jane Asher. All these are in, in, a, in a sort of common knowledge, but in the midst of it, uh, they, they managed to uh, fit it all into f- uh, five minutes to go and get their MBEs at the same time. So the album cover uh, with them is uh, when they're at their moppiest, toppiest suede jackets. And it was all by their old photographic stalwart, Robert Freeman, who never seems to go away up to this point. The pictures he took were good enough. And when he sought the band's approval, one of the slides he shone onto an album-sized piece of cardboard sort of um, went and got, went all warped. And uh, by the fact that the cardboard fell back a little and stretched the picture it was having shone onto it, the band liked that, liked that effect, and that's the one you see on the album cover. How about that? Ah. All in all, it's one of those can't-miss albums. Classic songs like In My Life, Michelle, Nowhere Man. They all have their own backstories, and it's hardly, uh, hardly a disappointing album by any stretch. And uh, especially those tone-deaf music critics long forgotten. So there you go. That's it. It's called Rubber Soul. It came from 1965. 
from The Beatles. Can I ask you what your favourite track is on, on that one? So, so well, favourite track you, on side You know one. me, I'll, I'll change me. I'll change, literally I'll change do that as well. But at the moment, just say, so look at, let's look at side one. This yeah. is uh, totally unrehearsed. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it looks like it. So um, what would you think uh, your favourite track of side one would be? Uh, nowhere Man. Yeah? Yeah, right now, Nowhere Man. Right. Next week, think for yourself. I, th I would like to think for yourself. And uh, how about side two? Side two. Uh, a George one, if I needed someone, because I like the riff. It's a good riff. Uh, I like Run For Your Life. Well, funnily enough, John didn't reckon on that one. He just sort of said it was a filler. He didn't put much store on that one. Yeah. He um, he dismissed it, if you want to call it that. Um, all the others were super good, um, but he didn't like that one himself, yeah. as far as I know. Oh, well, there you go. He probably, probably changed his mind. And, uh, yeah, you know. but it's, 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 it's still down good. There you go. There you go. So, you want the best. You expect the best. You deserve the best. So while you're waiting, here's the Beetle Blazers podcast with Mark and Cole. Onward, ever onward, let's take a hop, skip and a jump and meet up again with Mark, he's that guy in the corner, uh -huh. in his best bib and tucker with a white tuxedo and top hat to go with it, gold cane, ooh he looks glamorous, <laughs> as he presents one other podcast feature on Beetle Places with Mark and Carl, this month in Beetle History. All yours, sonny boy. Well, I feel like uh, Frankie Vaughan now, don't <laughs> Well give me the moonlight then. Uh, no I won't. Uh, right. Why should I give it to you? This month in Beatles history. Uh, anyway, it's only a rented, rented tuxedo. It, it? But yeah, it suits you. It suits I, look, you. I look quite good in it, don't I? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, enough of that rubbish. Uh, once again, let's have a look at some of the chronological events in the Beatles' lifetime. We've got a bit of uh, sort of three years on the... Well, not three years on the run. Two, two of them on, one of them isn't. Anyway, September the 10th, 1963. And they... Uh, well, what happened on that day, on the afternoon of September the 10th, the Rolling Stones manager, ex-Beatles publicist Andrew Oldham, was walking down German Street when a taxi pulled up beside him, waiting for the traffic lights. The window rolled down and a Liverpudlian voice said, Get in, Andy. It had only been a few months since he had stopped working as the Beatles press agent. In the cab were John and Paul, returning to their hotel after lunch. Knowing that the Beatles liked the Rolling Stones, Andrew told them he's looking for a song for them to record. And uh, they dug out I Wanna Be Your Man. Andrew was on his way to meet the Stones at Ken Collier's Studio 51 in Great Newport Street, Soho. And John and Paul said they would join him. At the club, they borrowed a couple of guitars from Brian and Keith and launched into the number. Hmm. There was only one problem... The song didn't have a middle eight. So after a quick conference, John and Paul said that they, uh, if they really liked the song, they'd finish it off for them. They disappeared into a side room, reappeared a few minutes later. Forgot something, said Bill Wyman. <laughs> no, said Paul, we just finished the middle eight. How does this sound? <laughs> and it became the Rolling Stones' first top 20 hit. Wow. Just like that. Just, uh, hang on a minute, we'll be back in a sec. Yeah. We'll sort it out. And uh, there you go. Lickety split. Just like that. So that's what's happened on 19, in 1963, September the 10th, <laughs> with the Rolling Stones. And now we whiz forward a year to September the 5th, 1964. And uh, this time, the Beatles are in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, at the International Amphitheatre. 
and there have been uh, plans for a civic welcome and 100,000 people were expected, but Special Events Director Colonel Jack Riley cancelled the arrangement, saying he didn't have sufficient police to spur for a bunch of singers. <laughs> so Paul, com com Paul commented on TV and radio, so we'll have to go in by the back door again and the fans won't get a chance to see us or we see them. It's a great big drag. Nonetheless, Chicago was ready for the Beatles and uh, stationed around the auditorium were 320 Chicago cops. One of them, patrolman Anthony Dizone, remembered the Frank Sinatra days. This is kind of like Sinatra multiplied by 50 or 100, he observed. <laughs> so the Beatles plane flew into the rarely used Midway Airport an hour late and there were 5,000 fans waiting for them. The crowds were so thick the, the group had to enter through the kitchens <laughs> and uh, the one casualty at the airport, a 14-year-old girl, had a cut finger. Uh, at the concert, cans were frisked, uh, fans were frisked <laughs> and uh, all large signs were confiscated. So no fun there for anybody because uh, they block out the view for other people who are holding yeah, up all these signs. Yeah, entirely right, yeah. Uh, lots of, of things going on. Jelly beans were thrown at them. Oh. Uh, candy kisses and anything else that the fans were likely to throw, including uh, probably ladies' underwear. Mm. Uh, just Paul was hit in the face uh, as well with a spent f flash bulb. Uh, so half a dozen fans were taken to the Evangelical Hospital after the show, and uh, the uh, one girl was poked in the eye but left the ambulance to rejoin the audience. <coughs> Pardon me. After the show, they hurried into waiting cars and straight on to Detroit. So. In one end, out the other, shoom, foom, and gone. <laughs> Pardon me. It keeps so, you going, doesn't it, being it does. a beetle? Yeah, it's chaos from one minute to the next. Uh, the eye of the storm, as the audience How they said. did that the eye and the kept storm. it up, I do yeah. not know. It was going bonkers around them, but they were kind of okay in between themselves. Yes, yeah, uh, it must have been terrible for them. Oh, there we go, and my book nearly fell off the table to show this as live. Sorry, I'll get a bigger, bigger table. So I'll... Uh, I'm very nearly at the bit I'm, I want now. So uh, August, not August, September the 8th, 1968. So we're heading there now. And uh, I'll tell you what happened there. Anybody? Yeah, anybody go on. Know? 68, well, we're talking a mixture of things. Yellow Submarine was 68. Uh, we had the White Album, 68. We had probably the end of Flower Power, 68. Uh, well, tell actually, me, tell me a bit more. Actually, well, uh, sorry, it wasn't uh, September the eighth. It was September the third. I do apologise. Oh. Uh, Ringo returns because uh, he he did leave the group for a short while because uh, uh, when he came back, his drum kit was smothered in flowers. That's Welcome nice. back, Ringo. They said. In fact, he didn't. Uh, he did not record that day. The time was spent liberating EMI's new eight-track machine, which is still being evaluated by EMI technical experts. And Ringo said, "I felt tired and discouraged. Took a week's holiday, and when I came back to work, everything was all right again." However, he added, "Paul is the greatest bass guitar player in the world, but he's also very determined." He goes on and on to see if he can get his own way. While that may be a virtue, it did mean that musical disagreements inevitably arose from time to time. Well, we're like that, aren't we? But, uh, yeah. yeah, they were glad to have Ringo back. That's September the 3rd, 1968. That's right, and, yeah. And uh, they welcomed him back by uh, covering his drum kit in flowers. Oh, so, well. Nice to be appreciated, I always say. There we go. Yeah. So that was this month. I'd rather have food, but, you know. Food? Food. Or yeah. flowers. Food. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, how about that? Thanks, Mark. Once again, doing his utmost and proving it with this month in Beatles history. You're listening to uh, Beatle Places, the podcast with the very own Mark and Col. Accept no substitutes. So welcome back one and all. Our next Beatles feature is the Beatles Book Review. And uh, this is when we tell you all about one of the Beatle books that we may have borrowed or never gave back to the library and or we may have even bought it, as random as that. And we talk and judge it on its own merit. So um, this time... I've brought the Mark Lewison book, The Beatles Live. And Mark's brought... I have brought... It's called The Beatles Solo. Uh, what happened when, um, you know, when they separated. Uh, we just talked about them getting together again. Come, make your mind up. Yeah, well, each of them does four books in it. Oh, see, yeah. Uh, and each one has got its own little bit. But uh, you want to do your bit first? If, and, uh, if you're going to oblige me, that's oh, great. Right, yes, okay. serpently. Well, um, off you go, son. It's, it's the most marvellous Beatles author there is, Mark Lewison. You can't fail him. He's brilliant at this. Um, he began as a researcher many years ago. And when he had access to... Uh, he was helping somebody out prepare some... Uh, musical archive stuff anyway he began slowly and surely began to collect his own Beatles information archive himself this led to a couple of great books by the way he also did an encyclopedia of sitcoms which is a must if you like sitcoms but also Mark Lewison uh, catalogued as many live Beatle performances as you can possibly imagine thousands of them and here they are all itemised in this lovely book it's it's certainly a precursor to the tune-in book and the trilogy of books he's talking about that he's going to bring out. It's one of them ones where literally, in chronological order, as best as he can do it, he has analysed and found out stuff about every gig you can possibly imagine. We're talking about just when the Quarrymen began to just when the Beatles split up entirely. Where they played, what they did, events during the gigs, tours, it all gets a mention. It's in chronological order. I like the uh, introductions and I like the inserts and newspaper clippings, which I've never seen. They're all pretty uh, new to me. Somehow he's gotten access to the uh, Beatle promoters' diaries where they booked the Beatles in for like five quid, six quid per per gig. And lots of little um, pictures to go with it when they were just playing around the clubs in Liverpool. Uh, They did a lot of them. And I can tell you now, at the end of the book itself is what they used to call a flexi disc. It's in there still. Oh, a flexi disc. And I bet you haven't played that for years, and have you? It's or a flexi disc of the recording, one of the probably the very first interview they did, uh, because it was done by the local hospital radio the, around the time they were playing at Hume Hall in Port Sunlight in the Whittle. Well, I know. Uh, I think it was the second one after Ringo joined. And it, uh, it just shows them there, being recorded being talking to by uh, I've forgotten his name now Threadgill um, Monty Lister was in charge of the recording Aye. and the recording's all about that it's about eight nine minutes long little recording it's on flexi disc you can find it on the internet these days it just tops off the book look wonderfully because Mark Lewison has ever no no detail is too small he just goes and gets it and uh, if you look at it he follows every day he, what astounds you mostly is 
How many gigs did they play? They played yeah. tons of them. Three or tons four a day sometimes. So. Yeah, um, and often they repeated themselves because they did something like 280-something gigs at the Cavern, not including uh, sort of Cavern-related gigs on boats and stuff like that. And then, then there's all the rest because they toured the Whittle and they toured Chester and then they did all the provinces in the area and they took off. And this is that book about them taking off. It proves it from gig one when they played in Rosebury Street as the Quarrymen and it follows them all the way to the end, Candlestick Park and a bit beyond. It's a great book. It's called The Beatles Live. So it is. Mark Lewison. It's nice a nice red it's a, cover. It's a big red cover book. Um, I think it's great. It's a bit old because um, it's got that record thing at, at the beginning, but I'm sure there's a version you can get hold of where you can download it or whatever. But like I say, you can get hold of this stuff. Uh, when did it come out? Oh, blimey. 1986. Good heavens. So, worthwhile, worth a read. And in the next podcast, I'll talk about a terrible book. So, uh, just to prove we, we, are, we are contrasting. Mark, I'm going to hand over to you now, mate. How do. Right. Well, I'm going to review, as I said just before... Um, a set of four books in a box called The Beatles Solo and it's the illustrated chronicles of John Paul George and Ringo after the Beatles written by a bloke called Matt Snow published by Race Point Publishers uh, in a nice box there it is yeah and it's, uh, it's very pretty it is and just skimming through so well the first book uh, so is, who uh, have you soloed out each one uh, well Paul McCartney Paul's first uh, and uh, for instance, there's pictures of, not in the Beatles, but his first album, getting married to Linda, uh, stuff like that, how they sent um, Mr Eastman uh, a letter to say, this is to inform you of the fact you're not authorised to act or hold yourself as our attorney. A picture of that. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and bits and pieces from the other Beatles as well. Um for instance, uh, Paul wanted to uh, carry the group on and uh, people were ignoring him. He didn't want to do this. They, or they didn't want to do it with him. And uh, Paul got depressed and directionless and Paul admitted that he hit the bottle a bit later on <laughs> when uh, things didn't quite work yeah. out. He said it was like redundancy, didn't he? Yeah. Like being a working-class yeah. fella on the docks and you were made redundant. You know, that, emptiness, that emptiness. Nothing going on. Yeah. Uh, there's some lovely pictures um, of Wings when they first started off. Pictures of Michael Jackson. Uh, Paul does not look young in some of these photographs. Pictures of him with George Martin. Um, and all the tracks that he's done from uh, then until now. Uh, quick look at uh, George's book. And uh, same sort of thing, really. With a bit of uh, what he did... Um, uh, the uh, Holy Grail, where he saved the yeah. Monty Python film. Yeah, he had a film career, didn't yeah. he? More, more than the others did. He, he saved that film, uh, along with quite a few other people as well, helped out. Pink Floyd did it as well, helped out. Uh, pictures of him with um, Eric Clapton, uh, and playing with Bob Dylan, and also uh, Ravi Shankar, and some nice pictures of, uh, where was it? With Madonna as well. That's the picture of Shanghai surprise, I don't remember now, yeah. Uh, and then we'll have a quick look at Ringo. Basically, the same sort of thing, nice pictures. A lot of um, his pictures of his albums and stuff like that. Ringo with very, very long hair, looking like Frank Zappa. 
as is the picture there. There's 400, uh, 400 motels, I think he did a movie called. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, and finally, a little bit of John. Some nice pictures of John as well. There's a nice index in the back of it. It's, it's, in, it's in a good chronological order, picture, isn't it? Picture credits and stuff like that. Uh, picture of him outside Mendips there. And um, pictures with Yoko and Mei Pang. Uh, so, yeah, I can recommend that book. It's good that they it's, can it's, focus it's, on... It's a nice in, collection of... It's an individual uh, retrospective, isn't it? Yeah, it's not nothing to do with the Beatles as such, no. but individual... And how uh, they lived, and really. And how, they, how yeah. they lived, and how the Beatles sort of persona infiltrated their personal stuff as well. Uh, on as their solo careers. It always did, that's what we're here for. It, they couldn't get away from it, really. So uh, that is the book I have reviewed this time, called The Beatles Solo, four books, Illustrated Chronicles of John Paul George and Ringo. And uh, it came out in 19... Uh, where are we? No, it didn't. 2003, I think it was. 2013, to apologise. Um, uh, so there you go, Matt Snow, The Beatles Solo. That's, that's it. That's a goodbye, isn't it? Hi. Well, goodbye to that. A goodbye. Not yet, though. No. We've got more to come, folks. Hi. Uh, right. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Got to mention the quiz. There's always a quiz. And then put some uh, trivia things out there. And then we'll have uh, a review, review of the books. And then we've got to do an album review. And uh, we've got to get Mark uh, tell some jokes because he's uh, he's got to be funnier. Must be funnier. And uh, the, uh, the, then, uh, then we can end with the song. And uh, that'll do, I think. Whew. Right, Joe. It's hard work, this typing. Okay, Beatles peoples, it's special feature time! Have we got oh. an orchestra handy? Oh. Where's my kettle drums? Oh, oh, you're not still looking for those, yeah, yeah, are you? Yeah, yeah, Don't tell them I've sold them. Uh, right, the teachers who taught me. And uh, coming up to the lectern, it's the man himself. <coughs> Comb your hair now. <coughs> it's uh, the author of the e-book Beatle Places and numerous other Beatles books. The Irrepressible, the Unforgettable... Um, uh, who is this? Oh, oh it's Carl. Carl, Carl. Carl, that's it, sorry. Carl. Down to you now. Cheers, John. And uh, I hope your memory gets better. Pardon? <laughs> it's true, folks. It's feature time. We're talking about the teachers who taught me. And there's a lot of teachers and there's a lot of taughting going on. But we're also going to uh, talk about schoolmates, schools, and so on. These, this was a big formative phase in the Beatles' lifetime. And uh, during their childhood and, and becoming teenage lads, they had a lot to do with school and it made a difference to them. They met, met their friends there and so on. Uh, all the Beatles had something to say about their childhoods, uh, especially the schools they went to. And what's true is they flourished creatively and personally because of all the friends they made and uh, all those things they did there and all the teachers who certainly influenced them. There's a few we're going to mention. Some were good, some were bad. Um, this was, like I said, very formative period of their lives when rock and roll music turned up as well. So it couldn't have been a more important period. So Paul made a great number of friends in Liverpool Institute, including Ivan Vaughan, and uh, he met Neil Aspinall there. And without that happening, Paul may never have met John, if you think about it. Even George met Paul simply because they went on the same bus together to the same school. Um, and uh, 
from the start, he proved like uh, John was going to be uh, something similar because he made lifelong friends from infant school and he carried on trying to be a sort of a reactive to authority and so on, going against the grain, sometimes being in trouble for it at grammar school, in spite of him being very intelligent, very able. So John managed to get against all the odds and flukily, is, is that a real word? Yeah. Um, he got yeah. into our college thanks to his teachers and his, his auntie Mimi and once more he met some of the most influential t- people in his life in his brief period of life but it was a dynamic life it was here he found love and he found loss and he found rock and roll so here's my collection of all those research details I'm going to paraphrase a fair bit because there's hundreds of them and I have promised this for a couple of podcasts but it's such a big document we'll cover those formative Periods for those formative times for those people in the Beatles. A bit at a time. A bit at a time. Piecemeal, if you will. Um, quickly, Ringo Starr, he went to an infant school called St Silas. It wasn't far from home. And it was run by a headmistress called Kathleen McNutt, uh, who lived not far away. And uh, there was a teacher there called Enid Williams, who seems to have recalled Ringo as a child and said she taught him percussion in his lessons. Though it's more likely... He learned more from a lady called Vera, Vera uh, Wentworth in uh, Liverpool Hospital in Heswell. So uh, another story, another time. In terms of John, he went to an infant school called Moss Pits, but not for very long. He was expelled from there for uh, upsetting a, a girl there who uh, he shouldn't have uh, hurt. A lady called Pauline Hipshaw. I think he might have just banged her on the head or something like that. Uh, Paul, meanwhile, with his brother Mike, they went to Stockton Wood. Uh, Stocky Wood in uh, uh, Bellevale, I think that is. And uh, Paul attended here for just a while, but the numbers of the classes were so big post-war and they were so large that they, the, Paul and Mike had to go to a different school called Joseph Williams School. And there they met a fellow called Harry Neal with a K. And uh, he was a lovely fellow by all accounts because they nicknamed him um, Pop, like most headmasters were called. And he was uh, a nice enough guy anyway. But... Um, when they went to this school, they had a new headmaster called John Gore. And what he liked was showing the kids the countryside and appreciating wildlife. So you wonder where Paul got his influences from for liking things in the country and singing songs about it. That might be the guy to blame. The heart of the country. Heart of the country. Heart of the country. Yeah, lovely in the country. Uh, um, now, strangely, if anyone knows the answer to this, you'll be very rich. But there was a guy who's a teacher called Mr. Spiller. And he made a little cine film um, of the kids in that school at that time when they were doing PE. And Brother Mike and Paul were involved in being filmed. But who knows if the film's still there or it exists even. So, um, who was left? George was left, John was left, but they went to the same school. They went to Dovedale Road Primary School. And the headmistress there was a lady called Maud Woolley. And there was another headmaster called Robert Evans. And, of course, his nickname, like most headmasters were called, Pop. They called him Pop. And he managed the junior school at Dovedale. Now, the teacher there that was memorable is a fellow called Fred Bolt, because Fred Bolt was one of John's teachers. Bit bit of a disciplinarian, but um, he um, took the kids on day trips and holidays and things like that that they weren't used to. Took them to the Isle of Man. And it was John who painted the picture of Fred, um, and it appeared on John's 1974 album Walls and Bridges, if anyone remembers it. It's poor old Fred, he's got these horrible round glasses in it. I know um, that. It, it's a kid's picture, but it's memorable. And there's Fred Bolt, large as life. 
Um, there was another teacher in that same school, Dovedale, that was George's form teacher. But unfortunately, he was a little bit rough and, rough and ready with George one time, and he uh, hit him on the wrist, which left a mark. And uh, William Lyon was the, uh, head, was the teacher's name. Uh, what happened was uh, George's dad, Harry, came, came to the school to find out who, who left the mark on George's wrist, and he basically punched him. So he punched Mr. Lyon for hitting his son. Uh, and moving on, um, of course, there were famous uh, people around him in the same school. That included a, a, a Mary Elizabeth Davidson. Now, Mary Elizabeth Davidson was better known as Beth, Beth Davidson. And she ended up being the girlfriend of Pete Chotten. And Pete Chotten and her married. And unfortunately, she had a kind of a short life because she died in 1977. But she was a trainee nurse at Smithdown Hospital. Uh, that I found out anyway. And she was supposedly the pretty nurse who sits uh, with the flowers in the tray Aye. in Penny Lane. Penny Lane. So it said, so it said, I can't prove that, who can? Um, one fact nobody really knows until I looked up was there was a very, the first girlfriend George Harrison can probably claim he had was uh, at Dovedale Road School as well. And her name is a Welsh name and she was called Valmai. Val Mai, V-A-L-M-A-I, Roberts. And she lived in Wavertree like everyone else did in the neighbourhood. So Val Mai was a very pretty, pretty Welsh girl who came from Monmouthshire. And she was there, and uh, she was there for about two or three years, and George and a couple of other lads in school fancied her silly. So it turns out that was probably George's first girlfriend. But she, she went back to Wales, she married in the 60s, and uh, she might remember it, but um, George might remember it as well. So, uh, in terms of secondary schools, which is the next age, 11 onwards, for most people in the UK, uh, Ringo went to a place called Dingle Vale, but at that point in time he was took very ill, and uh, there wasn't a lot to his education thereafter. He recalls a couple of teachers, but nobody can kind of remember him being there, so that's a bit of a sad, sad state of affairs. Mm. But um, there was one guy worth a mention, a fellow called Jerry Dawson, and Jerry Dawson was the PE, uh, physical instruction trainer. And what he did as well was he taught drama, and Ringo got involved in that and remembered being involved in that. And as you can tell, and as you know, Ringo did quite a few movies, and he kind of liked being in the limelight and uh, drama and being theatrical. So maybe it all began with that, who can tell? Um, so secondary school for the other people in the Beatles, that included John. John went to Quarry Bank. Uh, and now, now, just harp on to this, you'll, you'll like this. Uh, Quarry Bank was what they call a traditional British grammar school. It upheld all the pomp and all the ceremony of quality seats of learning somewhere else in the country. And it aimed to turn their clever students into academics and industry leaders and big people like that. Their teachers were called school masters. That's the way it's pronounced, Mark. Masters. Uh, masters. With an R. Yeah, I'd say masters. I would say masters. I would say masters. Yep. But um, he, he, if you go and want to picture them, they wore mortarboards and they had even had gowns on. Oh. And Quarry Bank itself had an in-house magazine called The Quarry. It had a debating society. It even had an italic handwriting society. And it even had Gulp, a beekeeping society. Wow. Yeah. I, I, we never had none of this. No, we never no, had none of this. So this is where John took his rebelliousness to another level. He was he was on detention 29-odd times over <laughs> 10 months. Wow. And somebody had found his detention slip uh, amongst some records way back when, and that's gone on auction for sale. And uh, a lot of the teachers who um, basically put him on detention, I'm going to mention in just a wee bit. But John still had affection for his old school quarry bank. He kept his old school tie, and um, he... he 
he always wore it when he was around New York City, when he was in the Dakota building. He just sort of remembered it in a romantic way. He liked it. And of course, he liked the headmaster who looked after him because he got him into Liverpool College of Art. Ah. Um, there's some teachers there, and there's plenty I found, because these... These, uh, these teachers, they had a reputation that everybody talked about them, but um, there would be teachers uh, who got a mention in John's comic magazine called The Daily Owl. One was a fellow called Harry, Harry Doach. Uh, Edward Shears was another teacher. He taught um, history, and his nickname was Clipper, and he had nothing to do with Billy Shears before you start. Um, there was uh, a lot of teachers, they all, had, all these teachers had silly nicknames, but one of them I, I kind of like and uh, um, I'm drawn to was a fellow called Richard Lancelot Burroughs. He taught English and uh, his nickname was Porky, don't ask me why. <laughs> um, but he introduced John to Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll and he encouraged John with all the stuff he wrote. So that's a good thing. He was a good teacher. Um, there were some awful ones, but there was, a, there was another good one. There was a John Yule. And he lived uh, in the neighbourhood of where John came from. A lot of teachers lived in, in pretty much the same area called Walton. And uh, John Yule taught mathematics, and his nickname was Fred. He was quite a character, though. He used to be an RAF navigator and a gunner in World War II. And he was awarded for bravery, but uh, that was probably because he lost a leg in the war. And he wore a metal one instead, which creaked when he walked down the corridors. Oh. So this warned all the kids in the school that he was coming, but he was a big guy and he was able to lift kids up in the air, including John on some occasions. Um, what I like here is something that's just local to us, really. There was a, a caretaker and his name is Albert, Albert Yoxall, and he was a caretaker, just did the bins, tidied up, did things like that. Uh, and uh, he was a groundsman at Quarry Bank and his nickname was Yocker. And we know what Yocker means around here. Aye. It means... Yeah. Yeah, it's scouse for saliva. Mm. Spit, gob, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and um, and John mentions him too in his uh, his Daily Hal magazine. Um, the one teacher who stood out for John, I think, was his headmaster, which was William Popjoy. Um, he was he was locally born, and he had a talent for languages, and uh, he, he had a couple of degrees, to be honest. But um, by the time he reached um, Quarry Bank in 1956 odd, he was there, and he replaced um, a fairly uh, stringent uh, headmaster called Ernie Taylor. And uh, luckily, he sympathised with John. He kind of understood him. And him and his cohort, Pete Shotton, who were a pair of characters, to say the least, with all the various deeds and acts, um, he didn't sort of tell them off too much. He suspended them for a week at one time, but he didn't do much more than encourage them to probably think about what they were doing. And luckily, he wrote a letter to the College of Art, uh, along with Auntie Mimi's insistence, to uh, make an appeal to get John enrolled there, because he was artistic after all was said and done. Um, yeah, that took a long while to happen, but um, it turns out William Popjoy was considered by the local Merseysiders to be one of our 100 greatest Merseysiders. He was voted in 2013. And uh, I think John Lennon's got a lot to thank him for because so, yeah. much, so much wouldn't have happened otherwise. There's no statue of him, though, is there, really? Not really, no. no. But um, if you go oh, past well. Quarry Bank, it's called Calderstones now, as we mm. know. Uh, different name for the school, but still the old school. Um, and uh, it, it sort of, uh, it just reminds me of all that time when... Uh, they would uh, muck about, and it was all close to uh, close to the girls' school anyway, so you can imagine what else happened as well. So um, quite a few schoolmates that John got involved with. The one I can, um, I can mention was Jeff Lee, and Jeff Lee was a local lad. Uh, he was nicknamed George Henry. Uh, George Henry, 
and the surname Lee is means something to people in Liverpool because that was the name of a big department store. So when he had a name like Lee, you couldn't help but call him George Henry Lee's because that was the name of our biggest department store. Aye. Yeah, so Jeff shared desks with John and at one time when John was getting interested in skiffle and music and blah, blah, he even loaned him his own guitar, his own acoustic guitar. So it was, John, it was Jeff himself who suggested, and I suppose he can claim for this, he, that John should form a band, and so the quarry men were born. Now, there's an interesting thing I, I pulled up very quickly, which was about the school band. You know how I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about there was an in-house magazine, and at one time around October 57, uh, the quarry band teachers agreed, let's have a social evening, get the, um, get the things rolling with the girls' school opposite, and we'll have a kind of a dance, have a dance night. So the sixth formers of the school were invited to get a tra traditional jazz band, what they call a trad jazz band together. And they were going to invite the girls from Calder Girls, just up the road from him. And they were going to um, just have a sort of dance night. And it was John Lennon who was also told to get involved because uh, someone at one of those meetings then mentioned about John uh, being keen on music and so on, very into skiffle, and maybe he could make a makeshift school band with a few mates. So John agreed, and he roped in Pete Shotton and a fellow called Bill Smith, and they played for about half an hour. Probably not very good, but uh, the comments were, uh, were they weren't great, and they got ten shillings, or what we call ten bob, for doing all that. So them, uh, them, and a few other occasions led to the formation of the Quarry Bank, Quarry Bank Band, the Quarry Men. Um, the Quarry Bank School in the magazine I mentioned, there was a, a student there called Ronald Bentham and what he mentioned was a little feature about the school bands in there was he emphasised how everybody was obsessing about skiffle at the time. And uh, it's an interesting little article that's probably been ignored for a long time but um, he says that every, he's sympathetic to newer music because he was a sixth former at the time, probably interested in jazz. And he wrote a thing about jazz uh, and newer music coming through. And he said how uh, a lot of the school were obsessed with skiffle and the new rock and roll. And I suppose that incorporated more than just John Lennon. It probably affected hundreds of kids in the school and how much it gripped them. Yes, so, every, uh, everybody wanted to go, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, if, it, if, <coughs> if anything's... If, nowadays, you call it trending. But, uh, a tea chest and a, yeah, and a banjo. It's all it took. It's all it took. So, John, Quarry Bank, happy times. Um, moving down, uh, literally, into town, because Quarry Bank is based in a place called Allerton, and uh, that's a few miles out of town, and if you come to town, the city of Liverpool we call town, um, there is another school of learning there called Liverpool Institute. That's where Paul and George went. Um, uh, so, it had a grand history anyway, but um, the thing was, uh, it was a grammar school and it, it just like Quarry Bank had very high standards of quality teaching so if your child passed the 11 plus exam system and they went to a school and it was the Liverpool Institute you you doing very well very impressive building isn't yeah. it it's very uh, yeah very nice it, it still is nice to look at isn't yeah. it? it's architecturally it's something else um, it took a bus ride though to get into town for John for Paul and George and you could see how, you know, same uniform, they would have spotted each other going to school, getting off a Catherine Street bus stop, walking down to the school, probably buying some cigarettes on the way. Um, so the uh, building itself is literally connected to the Liverpool College of Arts. So by, by, by one way or another, by circumstance, by happenstance, they would have met John Lennon somewhere or other at the Chippy or somewhere. Sure. Um, so George never quite liked his school even though Paul kind of liked his school the recollections are a little bit mixed here but um, they all made great friends and even remembered some of their favourite teachers in later life in their solo recordings 
Paul also never forgot what school meant to him because he got involved with the Lipper organisation, the uh, performing arts team, and they rebuilt and refurbished the old Liverpool Institute because it was a bit of a dump for quite a few decades after Paul left. Okay, quick run around with the teachers. Um, and there's a few here. There's one called John Sweeney. And uh, some, some teachers were old boys. In other words, they used to go to Liverpool Institute as kids themselves. And they came back. Um, what I like about John Sweeney was, it was recollected by, um, there's a, still a alumni uh, website, and it's called the Leobians. And the Leobians talk about all their favourite old teachers. And here's a little summary of what they said. John Sweeney taught Spanish, room 10, old boy. He was a clear favourite with lots of pupils and famous for his put-down reposts such as, you are a bull toad. Yeah. I like that, I like that. Yeah. Um, here's a good one. Dennis Booth. Nicknamed Danny, uh, he was a vice principal of the institute later life, became a headmaster too. He taught German and towards the end of summer when things get a bit more lax with kids in school, they were allowed to bring the guitars in. Paul and George certainly did that and um, he told them to put them away and they could play them at the end of the day. So that's fair enough. The, the school sixth form had over 200 pupils and when they had free periods they were advised to go and sit there and study in the school library. One day Mr Booth went to the library and he only found about 40 boys studying there. The rest of the turned out were all down at the cabin watching the Beatles. <laughs> watching the Beatles play. Why not? So he frog marched them back to school. Oh dear. Um, yeah, um, I've got to get to one here. There's, there's a strange one. There's plenty of teachers. One of um, one of Paul's first, Paul's very first teacher was a lady, Mary Inkley. And her nickname was Fanny. Uh, she taught Spanish and Paul remembers the Spanish she taught her because he often repeats it in the gigs he does. So a uh, little story there. Um, <laughs> there was a, a fella called Archibald Moy. I knew you'd pick this I one. I knew, I'm, I had to go there. I, I knew you'd pick this one. Archibald, his nickname was Fungi Moy. Moy, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, he taught French, roommates. He was an expert in what they call pocket billiards. Mm. Okay, yes. have I said enough? You have. I have, right. Yeah, yeah he was memorable for that. <laughs> but of course, there was Nick, there was a, a lovely teacher called Nicky Naylor, and uh, he taught chemistry and maths. Paul told a story about Nicky Naylor. He said he had a gravelly voice, and Paul's an excellent mimic because he can mimic singers, singers, and song, uh, songwriters, and so on. And he can mimic people too very well. And he used to mimic Nicky uh, Naylor. And Nicky Naylor left the classroom one time, and Paul pretended to be Nicky Naylor by going, "I'm Nicky Naylor." And uh, sure enough, right behind him, there was Nicky Naylor waiting to send him to the headmaster. Um, he was very quick-witted and very sarcastic, old Nicky Naylor. Uh, a good laugh, though, a good laugh. Um, I'll, I'll finish wrapping up the uh, teachers in just a tick. Uh, of course, don't forget that John's uncle was a fellow called Alfred Smith, and he taught at the Innie. Uh, he was known as Sissy um, because he was, uh, he was a very classy dressed, cla classily dressed teacher. He wore a silk hanky, top pocket, and... Um, uh, he had he made quite an impression on everybody, but um, he didn't like the kids. He just didn't like him. He called them capless cretins, scavengers. He called them all guys. Yeah. And um, he was also involved with the Boy Scouts. So go figure. Go figure. Um, I was going to get to uh, one here. Blip. Blip is the nickname for Bertram Lloyd Parker. Bertram Lloyd Parker. I suppose the initials led to the blip bit. And he taught geography, and he was renowned for just regurgitating lessons to nobody's interest, including his own. And uh, when Paul came and toured with his band in the 70s at the Royal Court in Liverpool, 
the kids came from the school and Blip came along with him and Paul waved to Blip and said hello Blip. God bless him. Now the one I the one I thought really needs to mention is a fellow called Stan Reed. Stan Reed was a guy who literally lived a, a hop, skip and a jump from the school in a place called Blackburn Terrace. He taught art and uh, Paul appreciated his art because he did lessons after school with old Stan. And Stan was, uh, uh, he, uh, he was in the Royal Academy for some time and famously he has a lot of pictures out there for sale and he's quite, quite a guy. Uh, George too appreciated him because he mentioned him on the cover of one of his Dark Horse albums with the OM symbol above him um, because uh, Stan was a sort of a wild character, very eclectic. He was a key musician, he liked the piano, he liked astronomy and uh, of course he was a nice fella and sadly he died about 1980 and um, that's our friend Stan Reed. So I can cover quite a few more but there's just no time. There's just no time. Tons and tons and tons of teachers. Tons and tons more. So what I'm going to do now is say thank you very much for listening so far. I think what we should do now is we shall go back and we shall visit Mark, who's ready to do the Beatle trivia questions again. Just a reminder. Hi. Go, go and have a lie down. You've worn your vocal cords out there. So uh, <laughs> Ring my masseurs. Oh, all right. Um, so just... Harking back a little bit earlier on to uh, the trivia quiz which I set earlier on. So three questions, just as a reminder, I'll give you the answers quite soon. So the three questions are, number one, what album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? All right. Question number two, a hard day's night in the filming of it, the train travelled from Paddington, 2,500 miles in six days, but where did it go to? when they were filming from Paddington to where it travelled somewhere because obviously, you know, they had to have uh, shots of the train shooting mm. past stations mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. But where did it go to? And it always came back again as well, I presume. Uh, and finally, <laughs> question number three, what happened at 11.35am on the 8th of August, 1969? Okay? Yeah. So... What album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? Yeah, a hard be. day's night filming. Where did it go to when the train left Paddington? Where did it go to? And what happened at 11.35 on the 8th of August, 1969? The answers coming pretty soon. Yeah, sooner than we think. That, that's, not, that's not saying much. No. So I thought when we've had we've had a long spell to talk about the teachers, I'll certainly rekindle that another time, another podcast, another time. Aye. Um, uh, we're going to have a bit of fun now. Go on, then. Um, we're going to talk about the lexicon of Liverpool. Oh, aye. So, um, I just thought we had to talk about this. My, my brother's a language teacher, and uh, he, he would certainly say, you've got to talk about it at some point, so I'm going to. Here it is. Get ready. The lexicon of Liverpool, the language we speak, it's a funny one, isn't it? We talk something called Scouse. Uh, and people born in Liverpool are called Scousers. And the word Scouse is taken from the name of a very simple stew that the locals used to make out of cheap cuts of meat and veg. Came over with the Norwegian sailors. They called it Lobscouse. Ah, well, you, you've got the origins all sorted out because it's a bit Welsh as well, as far as I know. Right. Um, that kind of sums up the people of Liverpool as well. We're, we're a bit of a mixture. Um, and Scouse is like the food. <laughs> and we have this unique dialect, which is a mixture of Lancastrian, Irish... A bit of Welsh, sinusitis, <laughs> and a teensy bit of English, if there's any room left in your nostrils. And uh, you could drive, oh, 
no more than 10 miles out of Liverpool and the accent is just so different. I mean, we've got our posh phone voices on tonight. Oh, we could talk, Absolutely. We could talk yes. properly like, and uh, we'd talk twice as fast um, and then we wouldn't understand each other. But uh, that's what Scouse is. Um, people who talk Scouse are from the region known as Merseyside. Uh, Liverpool's on the bank of the River Mersey and uh, people from Liverpool, Merseyside include Liverpool, all the suburbs of places called Everton, Walton, Dingle, Arlerton, Bootle, Walton, West Derby, Chilwall, oh, it goes on, Kirkdale, Notty Ash, just, that's just a few. And it's got a, a neighbour just across the water from the River Mersey called Birkenhead, which is uh, nicknamed the One-Eyed City. And uh, you can look that one up if you like. But in, in, in a way, it's exactly the same. The Scouse dialect can be very broad, and the words used change with the times, of course, but they're always laid with typical Scouse overtones. You listen to the Beatles, and um, we would say that sometimes they're being kind of posh a little bit. Mm. Not, not so heavy on the accents. Some people talk like that, don't they? They do. With the mouth do. wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Others talk like that. There's a comedian... Um, called uh, Peter... Oh, I've forgotten a second name now. Uh, Sarah Finowitz? No, 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 no. He's, he's, I think he's long gone now. He used to be a, a lecturer at uh, Liverpool uh, University... Uh, well, Liverpool Technical College, which is now John Boers University. And uh, he said um, that the Scouse accent started over in Ireland, where they talk like that with the mouth wide open in Southern Ireland... And they go up Northern Ireland and the, the mouth is half shut. They're all talking like that. <laughs> and they come over to Liverpool, they shut the mouth all together and they're all talking like that. Um, <laughs> well, that's the lecture done, isn't it? I mean, right. he's not wrong. Um, it, it's just what it is. And uh, Paul, Paul's always said he never had a very broad accent. Uh, John seemed to have changed his accent a little bit. Ringo's probably got the most consistent and George certainly had... Uh, a good strong accent because yeah, he was from Wavertree. Yeah, and, uh, very nasally, George, yeah, isn't he? But we've all got the old adenoidal issues uh, yeah. going on. Um, the, the main thing I want to take away with this lexicon thing is the dialect's one bit, but the other bits are sense of humour, which is spelled with a Y, by the way. Um, it, it's usually very quick, very dry, and very sarcastic, like a good cocktail, and very self-deprecating. And it's, uh, like I said, it's distinctly adenoidal in it, Mark. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> Scouse words and language, they're a whole subject on their own, but I thought I'd test the podcast audience tonight with a few tonight. So, see you make a D's, spelt with a D. Nice. Go um, on, then. By right. the way, we often trim down words with a D, because a D at the front will do. Fine. You do. And Aye. these becomes these. Aye. So we do do, don't we? Do. We do. Oh, we do. We do do, don't we? Oh, do. don't we do. Yeah. So, um, all, right, all, right, all right, right. You'll know it, but let's just, um, I'll, I'll say it, you translate. All Go right? on then, all right. Right. <coughs> what In is my a, best voice. Right. Scouse, Scouse to English. What is something that's antwacky? Antwacky or antwacky? Well, actually, it means uh, old, old fashioned stuff like that. But antwacky. Yeah. Like like antiquey. Antiquey, yeah, I think. Yeah, I reckon, yeah. So antique, so... Always uh, wanted to go there. Antique, so you say twack, antwack, antwicky, antwacky. I say antwacky, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, brassic. 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 Well, it's, it's rhyming slang, actually. It's a brassic, brassic lint, or brassic lint, or skint. Yeah, I'm yeah. a bit brassic. It's a bit cockney, isn't it, really? Aye. Yeah. Okay, how about scran? Scran is uh, food, like, you know... 
Yeah. Bit of a nosh. We need some scran. Aye. Uh, good on you. So a far, nice pork so far pie you're doing quite like well. That. You haven't, you haven't misordered your food lately. Aye. How about Goodnight Vienna, which is a, a Ringo, star, Ringo song? Goodnight Vienna. That's uh, that's it. It's all over and done with. It's all over. That's it. Yep. Goodnight Vienna. Actually, I mean, uh, Rising Damp, the programme Rising Damp, used to be on with Leonard Rossiter, who, an old uh, Liverpoolian actor. Uh, he called his uh, cat Goodnight Vienna because um, that was the last thing. <laughs> Uh, he put the, the bins out, put the cat out. <laughs> that was the last thing he did at night. Good night, Vienna. And the, the, cat, the cat was off. That's why he called it Vienna. So, anyway. Um, Aussie. Two O double Z Y. Aussie. Aussie. That's the uh, hospital, I would presume. It's right. Yes. Yeah, it's right. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, carry on. Uh, that's, uh, you know. It's like talking please. to Professor Henry Higgins. He's, yeah. putting, he's making sense of what I'm go saying ahead. here. Yeah. Kidder. 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 Our oh, kid, uh, Kidder. Not a thing I, I used, because uh, being an only child, ah. I didn't have an Arkid. But certainly my brother, my sister, I my have. younger brother, yeah. my older sister, whichever. Even my sister's Arkid. Aye. Um, <laughs> chocker. Chocker is uh, full up. Can't get any more in. This bus is chocker, I can't get on it. <laughs> Kex. How about me trousers? Me pants? Yeah, Kex. Me, me legs? Um Billy No Mates. Uh, that's uh, that's me, I think. I haven't got any friends. <laughs> well, you will do if this podcast doesn't work. Sure. Um, busies. Nah, yeah. <laughs> How that came about, I don't know, but uh, no, not, it's no. policemen. Yeah. Yeah, the busies, the yeah. business, probably the business Men is on the, the way. Men of the constabulary. That's what it means. Oh, the business is coming, so they call them the busies. I've got a cob on. Ah, have you? Mm. Right. Well, uh, that means... He's in a bit of a nah, which is another one. He's slightly annoyed. <coughs> Colonist. Sagging off. Oh, that means uh, not going to school. Yeah. Spelt S-K-E-W-L. Uh, <laughs> so sagging off school, taking, uh, doing a bit of uh, truancy. Last one. Gagging in. I'm gagging in. Well, that's that's relatively new, mm. really, because uh, my son started using it at uh, school. And uh, what are you talking about, gagging in? That means uh, sort of... Joining in with the rest of the group, yeah. really. Yeah, I like you said it develops, doesn't it? So you know, yeah. not mentioned all the rude ones. No, no, no. But uh, uh, there's plenty to go around. I promise you that. So that's typically what you'd hear in a typical conversation. Yeah, there's, there's an excellent couple of books out called "Learn Yourself, Scouse." Oh yeah, little little the Diddy Fritz. book. Yeah, Fritz uh, Spiegel. Spiegel. Uh, just a little Diddy book, and it's got all sort of funny phrases in it. Uh, if you can find it, it's a good laugh. So that's well, that. I then. hope that was a good laugh for you, the lexicon of Liverpool. Uh, yeah. And at some point in the future, we'll uh, we'll just say things out loud. Now you'll understand what we're babbling on about. Yeah, I doubt it really. <laughs> never know. You never know. Right, should I do the old questions again? Uh, that's a good idea. Right. Beetle Places Podcast with Mark and Col. Serious radio broadcasting. <laughs> okay, right. The Beetle Places Trivia Quiz back in my normal voice. It's answer time though, isn't it? It is, yes. Well, I'll give you the questions and then I'll give you the answers. One after the other. Right, the question number one was, what album would you find some greasy legs and a glass box? Any idea? Ah, real puzzle, that one's a great question. Aye. Um, And I'm thinking, is it a a Beatles? It's not a Beatles album. Okay, it'll be a George album. It is a George album. Is it to do with Legs Larry... His mate? Mm, I don't think so. Greasy, greasy glass. 
Well, I had a question about the uh, the record album, uh, record label, uh, in a ah. previous one, the Zapple yeah. record label, and, and it was the first album uh, on that label, okay. and it was Wonderwall by George Arison. Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the or two of the tracks Nathan on that album. Parish. Yep. Greasy Legs was one uh, track, and uh, Glass Box was another track. Oh, right, okay. There's a few other tracks on it as well. Yeah, there but, is, um, yeah. I haven't played that album for years and years and years, yeah. to be there, honest. There is only one track I always remember, which is uh, part, Party Seekham. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Party yeah. Seekham, which is about yeah. a place in, in the Whittle. Aye. Ah, uh, so that's that one. Question number two. Mm. The Hard Day's Night filming, all on the train. Or well, some of it, quite a bit of it on the train. Uh, the train travelled from Paddington Station in London. But uh, where did it go to? Travelled 2,500 miles in six days while they're doing all this filming, up and down the track, on the stations, and running alongside the train and mm. all stuff like that. But where did the train travel to? It travelled to Minehead. Somerset. In Somerset. Uh, which is a county in the south of England. Mm. Very nice. Bit of a distance, yeah, but yeah. yeah travelled all the way down there and all the way back again. Yeah, so travelled from uh, <laughs> Paddington to Minehead. Okay. And finally, what happened at 11.35am on the 8th of August 1969? Any idea well, at all? Well, I'm thinking about the dissolution of the Beatles mm, Limited. Not really, not quite. There's a bit of controversy, uh, a bit of a... Um, sort of... You know I'm rubbish at dates. Aye. Well... <laughs> he just agreed with me straight away what was What was taken was, uh, was a picture. Oh, the uh, Abbey Road picture. It's the Abbey Road picture. That was taken at 11.35am uh, on the 8th of August, 1969. It's taken by Ian McMillan, the photographer. It was Paul's idea and... Uh, Ian took quite a few photographs of them crossing the road in various uh, John First or John Last and George at the front and doing sort of different steps. But uh, it was Paul's idea and he picked the picture, he picked the shot to use on the album cover. It just is a great, so it just is a great picture. Iconic picture, yeah. yeah. Old striding across. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Oh, wow. There you go. Okay, I always get the date thing wrong. Anyway, Never mind, I you, tax you. I yeah, tax yeah, you. yeah, you certainly did. And you won on points there. Thank well, you. Well done. I'll, a fiver, please, if you've got one. <laughs> <laughs> so, in ten words or less, Aye. I think we're done. Oh, that's uh, that's only four. Oh, I, uh, uh, It's wrong. Uh, well, any, it's time to wrap up anyway. Enough of your rubbish. <laughs> uh, shut up for a wee while and give this Beetle Places podcast a good home now. Give it a lie down. And a big hug now that it's house trained. Uh, don't fret, dear listener. Call and Mark will return very soon oh, yes. with yet another Beetle Places podcast for more rubbish, the usual features, and the same jokes. It's gotta be the same jokes. Yeah, and the same presenters, nobody knew. So uh, We could switch seats for a difference. Oh, oh so there you go. Yeah. So we're wishing every one of you, him and him and her over there. And him over there. All well, and we'll catch you all next time on the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. Aye, that's it, I think. Here's a fiver for, your, for your troubles and a chocolate biscuit. Uh, that's about it, really. Right, now, now we're finished, aren't we? Yeah, that's done. Right, uh, that's, that's done. Now, help me find these bloody kettle drums. Yes, well, I don't know where. Where did you put them? I put them over. They were big things, big round. Were they under a sheet? <laughs> right. Why that? Yeah, somewhere, I'll, I can't say where. Shall I have a look in the pantry? Will you put them out there? <laughs> oh, no. The garden? No. They are somewhere. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. We hope to see you again soon, and don't forget to visit the gift shop on the way out where you can buy all sorts of stuff.